All right. Hi, everyone. Paul Swearingen here, the nonpartisan evangelical. This is our NPE podcast for this week. And we're going to talk this week about the language of healing. Can we have good discussions and can we do it in a way that uh, brings people to their best rather than their worst? Let me play the theme music first. Intimidating, isn't it? All right, this is the NPE Podcast. Paul Swearingen here with you. Glad you're with us. Go to our website, npepodcast.com, if you're hearing this somewhere else on some other resource. And uh, go check out how you can buy my new novel. You can join us on Patreon to help support what we do and do all the cool stuff with us on the Nonpartisan Evangelical. Today, our guest is one of my really good friends, which is nice to have a guest that's not only a guest, but, but a friend. Bob Prater, author, podcaster, and great guy is with us. Hey, Bob. Hey, Paul. What's new and exciting in uh, in Bakersfield where you are today? Oh, you know, oh boy, Bakersfield's hopping today. And and, and let me maybe before we get too far. Yeah. Uh, let me just say to to your listeners, if you have not checked out Paul's novel, uh, Joseph Comes to Town, do yourself a gigantic favor and get that thing ordered. It's on Amazon. You can find, you can order probably off of his, off of his website, the MPE website. Uh, this book has the potential to literally shift the way you view the earth, especially if like me, you're a Christian and you are troubled by what you see. Uh, it's just one of those books that is transformative. And uh, I look at you sucking up already. Well, yeah. What are you? What are you going to do? You know, <laughs> you got to get in good with the host. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, it's Joseph comes to town, and you have a very exciting book that's just been released to accolades from everywhere. And you and and two of your uh, writing partners wrote a book called The Language of Healing. I I can't wait to get my autographed copy in the mail, which is coming any moment. In fact, the the guy may just walk up to the door while we're recording this podcast, but tell us about the language of healing. How, how did you come about this book and, and what does it mean? The language of healing. Okay. So, uh, uh, yeah, your book was sent days ago, uh, okay. by, you know, USPS media mail. And uh, I need to remind you it's December. So uh, I, those things were a little slow. True. True. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, the book is, the book is, is, uh, officially called a language of healing for a polarized nation. Uh, subtitle, Creating Safe Environments for Conversations About Race, Politics, Sexuality, and Religion. Um, it was written alongside uh, two of my very dear friends, one who I've known for 25 years, Wayne Jacobson. Uh, a lot of you would know him from books like Finding Church and He Loves Me and a great book called So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore. Uh, and of course, uh, he was the co-author of a book called The Shack. Yeah, and, a lot of uh, our friends know of that one. Yeah, you know that one. Pretty good and movie, then, too, for that, too, if anybody's uh, looking really for it. really good movie. Octavia Spencer was crazy good in yeah. it. Yeah. If you're looking uh, for a good uh, holiday rental that the whole family can watch and not argue over too much, although it'll definitely spur some thoughts, but it's uh, The Shack is a great story about a way to look at God, and so we would recommend that movie for sure. Well, I, you know, it's funny that you would say that it wouldn't spur too many arguments. I there, guess it would, wouldn't it? <laughs> there have been so many arguments about that book. It sold 24 million copies. Yeah. Right? So it's it, it's one of those transformative books that, that just caught fire. But, uh, you know, be aware. Uh, yeah, I, I should say, I, I, and I apologize for interrupting your story about your book. But yes, Octavia Spencer, in case anybody doesn't know, plays God. <laughs> So, and and I know I've had friends that I've recommended the shack to who then came back and said, "A black woman as God." I'm I'm struggling with that a little bit, but I think that's the point. If you're struggling to really see is. see God presenting Himself as a black woman, that may be a heart check for you right there. My gosh, and not just a black woman, but a black woman who says, "Call me Papa." Yeah. <laughs> 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 and says about everybody that they're my favorites. They're, they're my yeah, favorites. I'm telling you, I, when I read that book years ago, I was I was on a plane coming home from Florida, and uh, and as I as I was un, unpacking all of it, I just started weeping, and I finally put it down. I said, "Lord, there's no way, there's no way that you're this good. Yeah. How can you possibly be this good?" Uh, 
because it flew in the face of everything. And I, you know, I'm a guy that went to Bible college and had been a pastor and done all the stuff. And, and it's, it hit me in a place that, that changed my understanding a little bit of he might be for me rather than waiting for me to screw up all wow. the time. Yeah. Big deal. Yeah. All right, yeah. So I'm, like, I'm with you. I laid on the floor and, and bawled my eyes out uh, one night reading yep. that. Yep. So a language of healing. So uh, it's Wayne and it's Arnita Willis Taylor. She is a, a literal force of nature from uh, Dallas, Texas. Nice. She was the first female uh, African-American pastor at a church called Gateway Church, Robert Morris, yeah. 6,000 members. And, uh, and she, uh, uh, we did, we did a whole bunch of events in Dallas and we did some events, events in LA. And I, I, I finally settled on something. She's a woman who likes to play. She's very playful, but she doesn't play. She does. <laughs> she does not play, but she's very playful, but she just does not play. Uh, she sees how she sees. And, uh, and she brought the best out of us on this book, uh, a little known fact, we talked a lot about our first choice for that book, which, Paul, was your wife, Ashley. Yeah, I remember. And we kind of we went down the road with her a bit, and uh, and then finally, uh, she just wasn't able to make schedule work, and, and so uh, uh, we found Arnita, or or Arnita found us. Yeah. And, so uh, tell us about, uh, tell me about the premise. Like, what, I, I know you guys have been talking about writing something like this, and this has been something in your heart for a long time. So what's what's the premise of the well, book? Well, we're, we're kind of polarized, uh, I, probably more so than any time that I'm 62, more more than I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I, I was around during Nixon. And so you, you see what's happening, and you just want to begin to speak a language that unites rather than divides, that heals rather than wounds. Is that even possible today? Yeah. Hello. <laughs> I, I, I'm beginning to find out that it is. And, okay. and you mentioned the the accolades that we got. Some of the endorsements were, were off the charts. Yeah. Uh, we, on the front page of our, on the cover of our book is a, a quote from Mark Laberton, who you've had on your podcast. Yep. Great guy. Uh, the president of Fuller Theological Seminary. And, uh, and he wrote me a personal note, uh, with the endorsement saying, Bob, it's my hope and prayer that this book gets a good reading on the earth because we need it. Hmm. And uh, so uh, all it is, it's written conversationally, uh, a conversation between three friends who are really different. I mean, you can look at Wayne and I and, and uh, two old white guys, but Wayne is fairly conservative in the way that he views uh, politics and, and the way that he views theology. And then there's me. I used to be really conservative in the way I viewed politics and theology. And then, uh, you know, I did that thing that is so dangerous. I allowed myself to start asking questions. Uh Oh yeah. That's you don't, you shouldn't do that. No, I know the Bible is clear. Never be learning, (laughs) never never be growing, never be thinking. Correct. Right. That's exactly (laughs) what it says. (laughs) We're being facetious there in case somebody hears that. Like, yeah, that's exactly right. No, no. They can take that and quote you. The, you go. the verse I quote more than any these days, I think, is Romans 12, 2, that says, don't be conformed to the age. In other words, don't be conformed into the bubble in which you live, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can know the good and perfect will of God. So I, I, I think we are supposed to challenge our beliefs on a regular basis. I think so, too. And listen, since you brought up scripture, Second Peter, uh, Peter is, is, uh, is addressing the church. And he, he commends them for choosing to live in present truth. Mm. He says, I commend you on choosing to live in present truth. Interesting. It is such a stunning statement from, you know, one of the fathers of the, of the modern church. I mean, somebody who was with Jesus, uh, one of Jesus's favorites, uh-huh. and, uh, and, and he said present truth. Now, I, I do think the truth is an absolute. I don't think truth changes. I, I'm that guy that, that believes that truth is truth yeah we, we it doesn't it doesn't shape its way to fit our narrative but my understanding of truth is not the same today as it was 20 years ago it's just not yeah. and uh and i think that that's where we have to where we have to plant our flag and say i'm willing to learn more and maybe i don't know everything and so peter is basically telling the church at that point hey way to go guys Hmm. You're choosing to live in what you understand today. 
It may not be what you understand in, in 10 years, but yay for you. Now that's and, really uh, dangerous. It, well, it really is. <laughs> it is. Uh, I mean, you think I'm, I'm trying to, so I think like God's character is a truth that carries through all of history. Like God's character yeah. never changes. And, right. but his ability to say, David, I'm okay with you having more than one wife. Uh, that, that God can interact with humanity and history and say, I get it. That's your culture. That's, that's where you've, you're, right. you're, you're uh, populating and, and doing lineage and inheritance and that he can, he can adjust to that. So how do we then, and now we're getting way off the topic of your book, but do, <laughs> do we look at what's happening culturally and say, wow, this is evil and we're getting away from, from truth and scripture? Or do we, do we ever say, maybe God is looking at history through a lens of our culture today and he has the ability in his grace to adjust how he interacts with humanity in that? I think he's really good at it, to be honest with you. And I, I think that there's, that there's no living creature on the earth or in heaven that is more able to do that since he created us out of the dust. I mean, he's the one who formed us. And so um, I have full confidence that he understands who we are and he understands where we are. Now, this book was written for people who think they know everything. Oof. It really was. Who, who think that there's nothing more to learn. I'm a, you know, there, there's a book that, that was written, and I know this is kind of a, a, a name that, that brings controversy, but there was a book written by Rob Bell. Um, uh, and, and the universalism, we're not going to get into that, but before, before he went down that path, he wrote a book called Velvet Elvis. And, uh, and the very opening of that book, uh, if you read just the first 10 pages, it will transform you because he, he posits that, uh, he has this Velvet Elvis in his home. He says, it's so incredible that, uh, he said it's the best Velvet Elvis ever made. And, and it's like the best art he's ever seen. And he said, it's so good. The artist didn't even sign his full name. He just signed R and, uh, and he said, now every other artist could look at that and say, well, not only do we never need to do another Velvet Elvis, there's no need for any other art. That game is over. Look what this guy did. And, uh, and so then he takes that back into scripture and, and our understanding of it and says, what if we stopped after, after Jesus ascended? Okay. We, we had Jesus on the earth. We don't need anything else. And then here comes the written word of God. Well, now we have the written word of God. We don't need anything else. And then here comes Martin Luther. Oh, well, now we have the Reformation. We don't need anything else. And there are so many people that got stuck at the Reformation. Yeah. So many people that got stuck with, uh, you know, whoever, you know, Calvin, uh, whatever the case may be. And they choose to stay there and and build their lives around what they think they know. Hmm. Meanwhile, God is bigger than than our understanding. And, and if we just allow him to blow our minds a little bit, we can see a little bit better. That's kind of what this book is. Now, this book is not for everybody. Let me jump in real quickly there. Yeah. I, what I liked about what you just said is, is you're talking about Rob Bell, and, and certainly for our Christian friends who might be listening, and we have a pretty broad audience to this, but they would probably know who Rob Bell is, and some of them may have a very negative uh, view of him. I think Franklin Graham called him a heretic on, on Larry King. It, um, but what I like what, what you said, and, and this, I think, goes to what your book is about, you said in essence, you said there are things that Rob Bell believes that I do not agree with. Right. But that doesn't then preclude you from finding truth in other things that he says. Is that a little bit of what you're talking about in the language that's, of healing? That's exactly what I'm talking about yeah. in the language of healing. We disagree uh, with one thing from somebody. We write off that person oh in my total. Gosh. It's like the moment that, that people find out that, that maybe I don't have you know, maybe this president doesn't have my full support. Right. It, it doesn't mean that that I cannot, with my eyes and my brain, see that there are some good things he's done. I, I'll be honest with you. I I like that, uh, even though it's wrecking our economy a little bit, that he's trying to bring some fairness to the tariff situation mm -hmm. with China. I think China has taken advantage of us over the years yep. and they're a superpower. So why not? You know, I think that's okay. But the way he's gone about it, you know, has been just makes oh, my head a little bowl in the China shop. Yeah. However, 
Um, the moment that certain types of evangelical Christians find out that I may not be in lockstep with this president, and I didn't vote for him. I didn't vote for Hillary either, by the way. I wrote somebody in. Um, the moment they find that out, they say, well, then you must be for abortion. It always goes to the extreme, always. Yeah. And and that's that's the fallacy of where our society is right now. We think if if one plus one always has to equal two, and I might be taking, I might be, I might be speaking in fractions, and you just don't understand fractions yet. You know, I, I'm, I'm not in whole numbers. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm shading a little bit, and and so uh, what we found in the midst of putting this book together, there's about twenty to twenty-five percent of the population that is so set on what they believe that they cannot be moved. And that's on the right and the left. Mm-hmm. Although there, uh, one of the things I found out, there's more on the right than there are on the left. Oh, is that uh, right? Is that- yeah, it's a it's a higher number. See, I hear that I, I hear that all the time. Well, it's both sides, and I think there are absolutely extremes on both sides. But yep. but it seems to me, and maybe this is just because it's my world, it seems to be a little more prevalent on the the right wing side and and. And certainly the right-wing evangelical side seems to have gone a little bit. Well, it might be just because of who's in power right now, Paul. Okay. And maybe, yeah. maybe that's fluid, but but that's the reality. I mean, it's a, the, the percentage is higher, and I don't have the numbers in front of me. I Where did you, you get that stat from? Do you, do you have any uh, idea? Those are those are from some think tanks okay. that, that do some, some pretty heavy research into this area. These are the entrenched. These are the people that will not be moved. Um, this, is, this is my congressman. Kevin McCarthy, um, who I know in his heart is a good man, um, but chooses to only get his news. A congressman only gets his news from Fox. <laughs> I mean, well, surely he has some briefings or something, doesn't he? Or, I don't. Well, uh, he didn't have a briefing when he went on 60 Minutes a, a couple of months ago. And, and you know, the, the host says starts reading from a transcript and he says, well, you're adding things to it. And he says, sir, I'm not, it's right here. Oh, it is. Uh, yeah. That was reported everywhere except for Fox. I remember that. Uh, yeah. And so my, my Congressman who I really do genuinely think in his heart can be a good man. I call him to that all the time, by the way. Um, and I, I'm looking to have coffee with him and get a copy of this book in into his hands. Um, but people who are extremely entrenched, and it's maybe 20 to 25%, this book is not for them. They're not open to anything new. Uh, it's the Velvet Elvis. And they're probably not so, listening to this podcast anyway. No, they're probably not going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> However, that leaves 75 to 80% of people who are absolutely sick and tired of the vitriol. Hmm. And, uh, and they're looking for a different way to communicate with their neighbor. They're looking for a different way to communicate with the person they hug on Sunday mornings at church. They're looking for a different way sometimes to even communicate with their spouse because this has divided all of us. And so this hopefully is a roadmap as they read on different things like bias and race and politics and sexuality uh, to look through a different lens and, and just begin to have some understanding. And I love that you guys, the book is a conversation between the three of you and you guys are all interjecting in. So it's a really fun read and to read it that way. And then there's some incredible stories, but I guess, you know, so start us with, so how would somebody try if they wanted to have a, a language of healing conversation with their friend who they love, but disagrees with them politically, and maybe that other person is pretty strident in that, in that belief system. How do you start a language of healing conversation. Okay. Well, let me start with this. Once again, there are some people you cannot have this conversation. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I think that's, I think we have to identify and we can probably all think of four or five people in our friend circle off the top of our heads that are not willing to have a conversation. So maybe, maybe it's, it's, uh, it's loving to say to that friend, Hey, let's just not go there together. I, I, we're not going to be able to do that. Right. Yeah. I think I think that's exactly right. I have but, some friends. I have to say, you know what? I think you just shouldn't read my Facebook page. Why don't you just take me off your feed? <laughs> oh, listen, I have, I have some family members. I have some family members that that I cannot have these conversations. With. Yeah, me too. It, it just it just goes to a place where it becomes so toxic. And I and and I'm at a point in my life, Paul, where I refuse 
to go there and let anger. I will always here, here's here's something that shifted it for me. I will always choose love over my need to be right. Mm, that's good. And so that's and hard. So that's I, hard for me. I like to well, I like to argue. It's our well. You were a you were a radio talk show host. Of course, it's hard <laughs> for you. Uh, and listen, I I I did a podcast called A Christian and a Muslim Walk Into a Studio, where for the first couple of months we did it, all we did was argue about the world and argue about theology and argue about those things. I I enjoy that too. I yeah. love to argue um, until I had a revelation that you know this isn't this isn't helping anyone. This isn't forwarding any good in the world. Mm. All it's doing is is we are focusing on our differences rather than what we have in common my favorite my the favorite thing that ever happened to me uh with a mod was during ramadan about a year and a half ago <clears throat> and uh he revealed to me on the air that they don't just fast from food now uh, for people that don't know Ahmad mirza is my is my uh, podcast partner on a christian the muslim walk into a studio he was the only practicing amir in the entire united states just stepped away from that 5,000 practicing Muslims in Kern County that called him their leader. Mm -hmm. And so, and he's a pretty famous guy. And uh, so a year and a half ago where it's during Ramadan and, and I find out because I'm learning as I go, I didn't know a lot about Islam when we started, but I found out that, that uh, they also have to fast from sex. And I, I slammed my, I slammed my hand on the desk <laughs> in, during the, during the video cast. And I said, well, I'm out, you know, kind of like Kramer in, uh, <laughs> in the <Seinfeld> episode. <laughs> and, uh, and he started laughing and he said, no, 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 Bob, you're misunderstanding. He said, we, uh, we can engage after the sun goes down. It's only fasting during sunlight hours. And, uh, and so I dialed up on my phone, a little song called afternoon delight. <laughs> Uh, skyrockets in flight, <laughs> afternoon delight. I said, so this isn't possible for you right now. And I started playing it and he just started laughing. He turned a little bit red, but by the time it was over, we were singing skyrockets in flight, afternoon <laughs> delight on the air together. <laughs> and, and I'm going to tell you what, I think that brings more peace to the world than discussing, you know, whether Jesus was divine or just a prophet. Yeah. I, I I think that that forwards the conversation much, much further, because when they see a Christian and a Muslim singing Afternoon Delight on the air and realizing, hey, both these guys like sex and both these guys are willing to have some fun with each other, then I'm telling my community, you don't have to fear this man. Right. They become and, human all of a sudden. And he is telling his community, hey, Bob's not the enemy. These people aren't the enemy. Yeah. And, and so... That forwards the conversation. So when we when we got off of theology and 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 differences and and uh, all the pain, and we started talking about what we have in common, that's where the world changes a little bit. Yeah. So that's what I try to do with the language of healing when I sit with people is drill in. I and I have to let go of my judgment of of people who who think differently than me and view the world differently than me, and allow them to see it through a different lens while gently trying to get them to see it through mine. Yeah. A little bit. Huh. That's hard to do. It is. It's really difficult. And your your book really addresses it well. I'm, I'm, I've read about half of it, even though I don't have my autograph copy yet. You were nice enough to send me a manuscript, and <laughs> i got to finish it up. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, it, so let me ask you this. When do we – I'm actually working on a blog right now that I've been writing for about a week now, and when do we tell people they're wrong? So in the in the language of healing, and with that as a context, is there ever a time to to say to somebody, "Hey, I think I think you're wrong in in what you're saying there." Yeah, I think we have to. I I think we have a responsibility to not be silent in the face of evil. Yeah. Um. So, uh, I have been very vocal as as things have gone. I I I don't like that we abandoned, um, the the Kurdish fighters in Syria. I don't like that there are children that uh, have died in our custody and, and, and while they're while they're literally being held captive. Uh, I don't like that. And I and I know that other people would see that differently. And and, and we're trying to send a, a hard message to the world, you know, like, don't come here. So I understand the other side as well. I do. I used to be the other side. Yeah. <laughs> and I used to be the other side until until my heart was so broken 
for humanity. And, and I began to love people at such a level that I can't be that guy anymore. Yeah. I just can't. And so, um, yeah, we have to speak up. I mean, I, I have to, I don't have a choice. And, and so, but we don't, we can, we can speak up about issues without demonizing people. Okay. Good. Good. So, I, you know, I have a little sound clip here. I'm going to play this, and this is uh, this is Joe Scarborough. And so, immediately, some people are going to go, "Well, it's MSNBC," but and right. and discount it because that's what we do when we're not working in the language well, of healing. Of course, when 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 we can't when we can't uh, get around get our head around issues, we attack the messengers. Yeah, and and, and most people don't realize that Joe Scarborough was a Republican congressman. Yeah, uh, right. and and uh, I think a fairly Bible believing one. He was. Yep. Uh, involved, uh, voted uh, for the impeachment of Bill Clinton. And yep. so this is a Republican guy. So let's hear, he's talking about uh, what you were just talking about, the, the caging of children at the border. And this is what he had to say. By the, way, by the way, a moral void that evangelicals used to fill. That's right. A moral void now that they do not fill. That's, because that's white so evangelicals are more supportive of, Donald, of, of these policies. Yes. If you look at the polls, white evangelicals are more supportive of the caging of children, of these people dying inside uh, inside of prison the, these Prisons. children like th- look at every poll concrete cell they support are more supportive yeah of these policies which are i don't care what red letter bible you have <laughs> i don't care i do not care look at the red letters this is the antithesis of jesus's teachings and you can even be a backslidden Baptist like me and know what is happening on our border to these children is the antithesis of everything that Jesus taught. And yet we have to depend on a liberal from San Francisco instead of evangelicals. So that was Joe Scarborough. He's talking about Nancy Pelosi addressing the issue of caged children and so what's your response when you hear that? Well, it hurts my heart because uh, without question, many in the church, and I think it's out of fear, to be honest with you, Paul, have abdicated their responsibility to speak the truth. Mm. And uh, and once again, you know, we're seeing their present truth be different than mine. And, uh, and, and so uh, there's been a justification that has taken place. Uh, it's like, if you'll give me this, I'll give you that. And I can overlook that as long as I get this. And this is always abortion. It's always the abortion argument. And because Trump has, uh, president Trump, he's my president too, yeah, by the way. Yeah, I, I, uh, Even I, if I didn't go for him, he's still my president. Give him the honor of the position. Of course. Yeah, I'm an American. Yeah. So, uh, even though, <clears throat> even though president Trump, uh, you know, he, he has he has appointed judges that are pro life, and that goes a long way with the evangelical community because it, it ties into their narrative of and 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 listen, uh, I just had somebody the other day tell me, don't you know that that Donald Trump is in the Bible? He was prophesied and and uh, and all the prophetic declarations that came that Donald Trump would be president, uh, and then you know the moving of the 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 uh, uh, embassy to Jerusalem. All of the things that that diehard evangelical Christians look at and say, well, this must be God. And so we'll overlook all of the other stuff because Jerusalem, babies, uh, we're getting what we wanted. And it's the stuff they've been standing on street corners, pounding their chest over for the last well, since the since the late 70s. Right. When when this moral majority movement began to take take root in America and so uh, we're just seeing the fullness of that. And here we are. Yeah. Well, and I hear from people a lot like, well, God used imperfect people. David was imperfect. And so it's important that we point out that time in the Bible when Nathan went, the, the prophet went to David and said, well, David, you've really committed a horrible sin here with Bathsheba, having her husband murdered so you could take her for your own because you knocked her up. Right. And but as long as raped her, by the way, raped. Yeah. And as long but as long as the economy is good and you're appointing the right judges, then it's okay. 
Remember that when that happened in the Bible? Wait, that must be in the book of Hezekiah. <laughs> I, I don't remember reading that. Uh, but right. King David was a was a man after God's own heart. We're told he was right. Uh, you know, he he did a whole lot of great things. He was a king and a priest. He was an amazing guy. And Nathan went to him and said, "You are the man that stole the sheep from your neighbor." And right. that is an abomination to God. He pointed yeah. his finger at King David and said, you need to stop this. This is bad right now. Yeah. And when evangelicals lose their moral compass because abortion, Supreme Court, law becomes so important to us. And you're absolutely right. It's fear that drives it. It's it absolutely is. fear. We're, we've given into our fear because we are trusting ourselves for something rather than trusting God, and missing that Jesus said, hey, I came as a suffering servant, and, and I came to serve and not to be served, and all of those things, then we lose our moral compass. And I, I, really think that's, I really think that's where we are. And so I'm trying to figure out how in a language of healing do I say, hey, Christians, I love you. I love the church. I'm passionately for it. Right. And we're a little off track. In fact, we're a lot off track. Yeah, we're a lot off track. Let's take a break in that conversation with Bob Prater. Hope you're enjoying it. And tell you of a couple of things. You may want a book for Christmas to give to somebody in this upcoming holiday season. And so Bob's book is out there, A Language of Healing for a Polarized Nation. He said if you go on Amazon and search Wayne and Language, Wayne Jacobson is one of the authors, you'll find the book on there, A Language of Healing. And my novel is Joseph Comes to Town. When the religious right goes religiously wrong, you can order that on Amazon or you can go to my website website and click on the Joseph Comes to Town book link at the top of the NPPodcast.com website. That'll tell you how to buy my book, tell you more about my book, and how you can get my free ebook, which is called The Making of Joseph. It has three free chapters of the book as well and tells why and how I got the book published. So that would be one thing to do. Then if you join our Patreon community, we have some cool stuff coming up at this next year. We're going to do some taking of some communion together, having some spiritual moments, and the audio book. We're going to release it on Patreon. So if you go to Patreon and sign up at that $5.99 level in December, in January, you'll start getting free audiobook copies, uh, clips of the book. We're going to do it in serial form, so you'll get a little bit at a time. And by joining us on Patreon, you'll get that and some other special cool stuff with Ashley and me. So join us on our Patreon site. To do that, you go to npepodcast.com, click on that Partner With Us button at the top right of the screen, and join us, and you'll get all kinds of cool stuff. And you'll help support this message of the nonpartisan evangelical as we're trying to change the mindset and challenge the mindset of the world out there. Thank you for being a part of this community. Now back to our conversation with podcaster and author Bob Prater as we talk about political stuff in a different way on the nonpartisan evangelical. that has been set over the over the past 20 years or so but it has really ramped up uh under president trump and it, it's we've lost a sense of decorum and and mutual respect for others uh we used to see uh nonpartisan uh bills go through congress you know sponsored by from each side you know i can think of several uh you don't you're not you're not seeing that today right they, they have everyone's gone to their corners uh, we've got, we've got. And oh, by the way, that's not just with Donald Trump's presidency. That was certainly the eight years of, of Obama. The Republicans sure. were obstructionist uh, to every, yeah, just about everything he tried to do. And and I think we could go back to G.W. Bush's administration as well. We we have become we have become this society where we demonize to the point where it's okay to even lob these bombs about how people. I there's a pastor that is a dear dear friend of mine from my childhood in Oregon. And, uh, and he puts something online um, about uh, Joy Behar, and he called her a hideous-looking woman. And, oh. and, these, and, I, and I, wrote, I wrote him privately, and I said, my gosh, don't you realize that people follow you? And, and do you really think it's okay to attack how somebody looks? 
I understand. Talk about the issues if you want, but why do you have to bring that in? And I said, and his response to me, and we have had tender conversation over the last few years. His response was, I would answer, but I'm afraid I would offend you. And I thought, well, okay. I, I just wrote him back and said, that hurts my heart. It mm. really does, because that's kind of where we are. It's okay to take shots at how people look. When when President Trump began to call Ted Cruz's wife uh, all kinds of names yeah. about, about her appearance, and and nobody stood up in the Republican Party and said, this is not okay. Uh, and it just continues on. And now we've got this thing of, you know, even like the snowflake mentality where, you know, we, we look at young people and say they're, they're, they're so, you know, fragile and can't take anything. And yet our president goes to a NATO summit and, and uh, there is footage of world world leaders talking about our president and our, and, and when they talk about our president, they're talking about our country, Paul. Yeah. And they're saying things like, can you believe this? And, and, you know, our commander in chief, who is always calling people snowflakes and get over it and stuff like that, gets offended, calls the, the prime minister of Canada two-faced and jumps on a plane and comes home. Yeah. Uh, and his base cheers. Yeah. I, it just absolutely, I, I don't understand. A big part but, of uh, why he acts the way he does is, here, I'll give you this because of this. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? That sound clip ought, ought to make us so embarrassed. And, and hearing Joe Scarborough say that, and I know there are people listening right now who are like, well, he works for MSNBC and he's married to Mika Brzezinski, who is evil and ugly and whatever else they want to call her. And, and you and I both have talked. She's not our favorite either. She's not my favorite. But she, she drives me crazy. Yeah. But this is Joe Scarborough, a Republican congressman. And yes, his bread is buttered by working for MSNBC, which has a, has a, a left-leaning bent. I just keep saying to evangelicals, can we ever stop and hear what people are saying about us? And instead of getting angry and defensive, stop and say, is there something I need to hear here? Is there, is there a time for me to stop and say, maybe, maybe we've missed it just a little bit. I was actually reading the Bible this morning, which is good. And I was uh, reading in second Thessalonians and I came across a verse. I, I, I've heard it before, but you know how that happens. All of a sudden you read something and you're like, whoa, wait a second. And Second uh, Thessalonians two eleven says, and we've got to be careful taking things out of context. And so I haven't really studied this in depth yet, but it just is interesting. He says, for this reason, he's talking about a particular season and happening in history. But he says, for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence, so that they will believe what is false. Uh. Like that, that they're. There is a mindset or spirit. We've talked about it on another podcast that Jesus said to James and John, hey, stop it. You're, you're partnered. You, you don't know the spirit you're of. That, that we can get under a deluding influence or mindset or spirit, however you want to call it, where we actually start to believe what is false and become what, you know, the, the antithesis of what the Bible calls lovers of truth. Do you, do you see some of that in what we're seeing? Oh, my gosh. I... <sighs> It's interesting that you found that in Second Second Thessalonians. You yeah, said, yeah. yeah, because in Second Timothy, uh, I and I never, I never really thought of Paul, the Apostle Paul, as an end times expert, a, a prophetic expert on the end times. Yeah, that he he says to to Timothy, he says, in the last days, there will be those who will be lovers of money, boastful, proud not teachable. He goes through this whole list. Um, and he says at the end, he makes this incredible statement. He says, and Timothy, I need to tell you something, have nothing to do with people like this, Whoa. which puts me, I, the moment I saw that, I, I, I remember tears came to my eyes. I said, Lord, I don't know what to do with this. I really don't because these are the people that I sit with all the, these are my friends. Um, many of them fit that description unfortunately, and they're following blindly a man who, I mean, everything in that is about him. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I don't understand why that becomes okay. But again, I look uh, clear back to, to, to Samuel coming to the Lord saying the people want a king. And, uh, and he says, well, they've not rejected you, Samuel, they've rejected me. Yeah. 
and uh, and I'm going to give them what they are demanding because they want to be like other nations, right? We want we want our day in the sun, and uh, and so he said, "Tell them I'm going to give them what they've what they've asked for, but solemnly warn them what the king will take from them as his own." Mm. And of course, they got Saul, who was an evil man. He really was. I mean, he he did some good things. He did, but. That was never God's intent for them to have a king. Yeah, now, well, he, he was a good man who couldn't handle the the position of a sovereign king. Right, right. But he looked the part, didn't he? He looked the part. He looked the part. And and again, I think he was a good man. He certainly looked the part. But right. when he had no accountability and right. all authority, he couldn't right. handle it, and it got away from him. And that's that's what I'm saying when I hear. Donald Trump say I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and not lose any voters, and I can say, you know, he's right. He's right. Yeah. Again, we've got a man that that he he could be good, he could be right, he could be. But when you give a person no accountability, right? No accountability, and 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 can we argue? He has no accountability. He can do anything he wants to do, and the and maybe the Democrats will push back and argue and scream and even impeach him. But he knows. He's not going to get taken out of office, probably get reelected in 2020. He, he very well might. We've put that man in danger by taking away all accountability of him. And I think well, too, I think Saul's a great comparison. I, I think it's a wonderful comparison. But then uh, you brought up David, King David. Uh, David, the thing about David is he repented well. He sinned a lot. I mean, yeah. he messed up. Uh, and there's no way anyone's going to convince me that what happened with Bathsheba was not rape because she was the, the wife of another man. And whether, you know, you can't consent. I mean, we understand how rape works now. Uh, when the king brings you to his home, yeah. to his palace, there is no consensual sex. Right. I'm sorry. That's not how things work. Um, that is sex with an intern in the Oval Office. It, it's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's exactly what he, he went after his neighbor. It's never and so, okay. And so here we go. Uh, but the thing that David had was he repented well. Yeah, he was the. I, I can't think of anyone else in the Bible, uh, in the in the narrative of the, of the written word of God, who was so quick to say, "Oh, you're right. It's me." Yeah. And Lord, look at me. Uh, have mercy on me. I mean that that's the posture we're looking for. But it took Nathan to bring that out. So where is our president's Nathan? Mm. Is it Lance Wall now? I don't I think don't, so. Is it Franklin Graham? Paula White? I don't think so. Is, is it Jerry Falwell Jr.? Well, no. I, I don't think so. Um, where is Nathan? Because uh, here, here's what encourages me. After Saul came David, yeah. who was a good leader for Israel. Yeah. So uh, if, the, if there really is a comparison here and there's a parallel, then I'm looking for David. Hmm. I'm looking for King David. But we need Nathan to rise up. Yeah. Well, it's interesting in your Second Timothy passage is talking about uh, greed in essence there. And so again, I hear all the time, yeah, I wish the president wouldn't tweet. I wish he would stop tweeting. But boy, the economy's good. And I can't, <laughs> I can't find anything in the Bible that says, as long as the economy is good, then the leaders can do all they want. And, and people go, ah, he's just, you know, he's, he's a wrecking ball. He's turning things over. But I think denigrating the honor of the office of president of the United States is, is lowering the morality of a nation. Oh and, my gosh. and I think when we hear Joe Scarborough say something like he said, we ought to grieve over that instead of getting defensive. Listen, I, I, okay. So, <laughs> I think about the the believers, the Christians in China who are persecuted and have to often do things underground. And if they're caught, they go to prison and sometimes... Hey, but we can't say Merry Christmas here. So we're pretty persecuted too, Bob. Come on. Come on. Here's the thing. We we think that God's favor is more on our church in America than it is on the Chinese church where they have to to look behind them all the time uh, when they declare the name of Jesus. And, and I look at, the, at these things and, and the parallels between, uh, there are those who conflate uh, the cross with the flag. And, and I just saw the Jerry Falwell Jr. with a guy named Charlie Kirk, who is just one of those guys, you know, that, that probably this book is not written for. Charlie Kirk is a young man who, who is a mouthpiece 
for what I would call the double E evangelical evil. Mm. And, uh, uh, and I think that's a term uh, that I just made up and, uh, you're, you're <laughs> so, going to have to copyright that fast. So they, they are, uh, they, they are starting a defense of evangelicalism department at Liberty university. Mm. And I saw that and I thought, well, uh, because evangelicalism is under attack. I don't think evangelicalism is under attack. I, I really don't. What I think is truly under attack are those who represent evangelicalism with greed and avarice and uh, and with power grabs mm. uh, who have tied themselves to evil in order to further their own personal agendas. And, and I could name 20 people that fit that narrative. And so... I don't see I don't see the church as under attack. I see that the world is rightly calling us out. Yeah. Can, can I cuss? Sure. No, I better not. <laughs> uh, they're they're calling us out on our BS. Yeah. Uh, they just are. They're saying we see. Do, do you think we don't have eyes? Do you think we can't see who you really are? Yeah. They're seeing through us, and they're calling us out, and we're saying, "Oh no, we're under persecution. We're not." Yeah. Our behavior is being called into check the end 90 i would say 95 percent of what we call persecution is just the human response to jerks <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah. I, I sat with a guy years ago who who he's an abrasive personality he started a bible study in his home he had 30 people come and over the course of six months nobody was coming anymore and he sat with me and he said these people just don't want to follow god and i said listen to me i said they're not they you have to give room for the possibility that they're not rejecting God. They're rejecting how big of an ass you can be sometimes. Yeah. Because you can. And he just <laughs> put his head now, he was like King David that day. He put his head down and started crying. Oh, good. Um but the church needs a cold dose of reality just like that. They're not rejecting Jesus, they're rejecting our representation of him. Yeah. I uh, was having a, a communication with a, a, a wonderful woman who's running for office in Northern California, and I have great respect for anybody that's willing to go through the scrutiny of running for office. And right. and she was telling me of her disagreement with something I had posted, and and uh, you know, and I and so I said to her, I think God's way less concerned about our ability to say Merry Christmas than we are. I think we're way that's way higher on our priority list than it is on 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 God's. And she came back with, well, you're just lucky that there are people like me and Franklin Graham who are fighting for your rights. So they're not taken away. And and my response to her, and then she's never responded to this again was like, man, I'm so glad that Jesus didn't feel it was important to fight for his rights. Oh, I don't ever see Jesus fighting for his rights. And, and is he, is he not the model for how we're supposed to live live life. And I'm not saying you can't say this is this right or this, but, but this thing of we've got to fight to be able to say Christmas, which by the way, has never, never, never been. And and I think her thing was about her child wasn't allowed to, to play joy to the world in a, in a, in, in a holiday festival for her daughter's school. And I'm like, is it worth losing relationship with the world Right. To fight to say Merry Christmas or play joy to the world. I, I'm not sure that's the battle that Jesus. Well, yeah, but it becomes a badge. Of, it because it becomes a badge of honor when we're, when we're treated like this, and so we wear it proudly because it's an identification. We that it becomes our identity that that we are the persecuted Christian. Um, and 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 meanwhile, you know, to me, the litmus test of Christianity is First John four that says, "Beloved, let us love one another." For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, mm. because God is love. It is right there. And so that's a pretty easy litmus test. Yeah. And so when I see those who don't take loving postures towards the hurting, towards the wounded, towards the forgotten, it's pretty easy for me to look at that and say, they may not know the same God that I know, regardless of what their words are. Hmm. And wow. I can say that, uh, and it's not judgmental. That's just what's there. That's the test. Yeah. And I think when, and this is what I keep wrestling with, when 
when you're now withholding the love of God from people because you're you're declaring them, and and I think we're supposed to be the representation of God on earth as right. the church, and if now our representation of him is he hates you because you're gay, you've had an abortion, you blah, blah, you name the list, that's when, that's when Jesus got really upset. That's when he told people, you know who your father is? Your father's the devil. And, and so I, I saw somebody excoriating one of my friends on Facebook, and I've had to face this before, too. People like, like well, you're, you're supposed to do this in private. Matthew 18 says you do this in private, and, and you're just there's no fruit of you calling this out in public. And I'm like, I don't think Jesus was violating Matthew 18 when he pointed at the Pharisees and says, you know, your dad is the devil, and that's who you follow. Right. That wasn't very private. Nope. Nope. <laughs> That that was uh, and has been megaphoned through the the ages of history. There is a time oh to say goodness. you are hurting people that God cares about. What did Jesus say uh, when? Uh, oh my gosh, uh, John, who was it that he that he said you don't know what spirit you're of? Lord yeah, James you wanna- and John. James and John yeah. had gone to Samaria and they weren't going to receive Jesus in the manner that they thought he should be received. You know. And so they came back, do you want us to do like Elijah did and call down fire from heaven and destroy them? And I can I can see Jesus literally doing a face palm because this is right at the end of his ministry. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And he's like, guys, how long have I been with you? Do you not have you not gotten this by now? The son of man did not come to destroy. He came to save. And then he says, you do not know. Real deal believers, by the way, his best friends. His best James, friends, yep. His best friends. You do not know what spirit you are of. So those who tell me that believers cannot fall under the influence of a different spirit because, you know, we have the Holy Spirit, well, I don't agree with that. Yeah. I don't agree with that. I, but that helps me process those with whom I disagree because I think there are a lot of people on this earth who rightly in their minds want to call down fire on those who they see opposing Jesus. Right. Let, let's, let's call down some fire and, and they just don't know what manner of spirit they are of. Mm. And Paul, you're the one that, that turned me on to this uh, yeah. about a year and a half ago. It, it set me that, that was really the catalyst for this book that, I mean, I, and now that I think back, that's when I thought, Oh my, there is a dialogue to be had because all I have to do is take away my judgment of these people who disagree with me and realize that they really might not know what manner of spirit they are of. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, that's such good stuff. And I'm talking with Bob Prater. He's uh, the, the co-host of uh, a Muslim and a Christian walk into a studio. Did I get that name right? Yeah. You came real close. What is it? What is it? It's a Christian and a Muslim walk into a studio. Okay. <laughs> no. I, I love to listen to it when it's a, when you, no. uh, and a language of healing. A language of healing for a polarized nation. Yeah, you can pick awesome. it up. You can pick it up on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all your all your fun places to buy books. Very cool. Well, I'm in a, a, a probably a weird time in my life. I, I was re, I've been reading Lamentations. Nobody goes to the Bible to read Lamentations very often, but maybe we should more often. And that's written by a, a prophet named Jeremiah who is grieving over his people. And it's a little bit of where I am today. And and I I think we forget that, you know, we love this passage, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That's actually uh, from Lamentations. But it also ex- exhorts us to, hey, let's let's test ourselves and examine our ways. Thank you. And and maybe God will turn his turn his eyes back toward us if we do that. And so I think your book is a great opportunity for people to read and say, Hey, let me let me examine and test my ways here. I appreciate that. That's awesome. Let's hope. Let's hope that's it. And Lamentations also says uh, his mercies are new every morning. Yep. Uh, and so, uh, and that that was transformative for me because if his mercies are new every morning, who am I to carry my judgment from one day to the next? So every day I get up and I I put on fresh lenses from heaven, and everybody I encounter gets a fresh start. They yeah. get they they get new lenses, and every day I you know I don't judge days. Every day gets a fresh start because his mercies are new every single morning. Hmm. That's good. And I, what I love about what we're saying here is if 
If you buy all the conspiracy theories and you're a big conspiracy theory fan and you're an evangelical that's getting excoriated there by Joe Scarborough, what we're saying about James and John is like, that. that's not the whole of who you are. That doesn't make you evil. We're asking right. people to examine, have maybe you come under the influence of a mindset of a church that you've been in right. your whole life. And do you ever examine yourself and say, am I supposed to believe this way? Is that in alignment with where God is? That's it. And, and I think it's appropriate for all of us, including me, including you, to ask, what manner of spirit are we of today? Yeah. Well, well, it, it, don't examine me. Yeah. We, well, you and I challenge each other on these things from time to time. We do. I, I, people don't know. I mean, they, <laughs> Paul is really, I mean, he's on this hand. He's one of my, one of my best friends on the earth. And, uh, and we talk usually several times a week and, uh, and yeah, we do, we don't hold back with each other. <laughs> like, wait a second. That doesn't right. sound like you're, you don't know the spirit you're of right now. And I, right. I, always, I always appreciate when I, when I have people who I know love me and are looking out for my best. Now I have some who I don't think are after my best. And at times I reject that input from them, but right. Same here. But I know you're, you're always uh, rooting for me and planning for the best. And so whenever you say, Hey, wait a second, this doesn't sound like where you normally are. Then it's always a good challenge for me to step back and test myself. And I'd like to listen. Uh, I appreciate that. And I, I need everybody to be praying for the Oregon ducks today. Um, they have a pretty big game tonight in, uh, in, uh, somewhere in the Bay area against a, a, a very evil team from Utah. And, uh, so, uh, please pray for my ducks. They trust me the way they played the last couple of weeks. They really need it. God's God's favor though, is on the ducks. Huh? Yes. Yeah. Finally, there it is. <laughs> Someone speak truth. Now, now you know what manner of spirit you're of when you say that. There That's you go. It. There yeah. you go. Uh, and we need, uh, we need prayer here in Fresno because our football coach, uh, resigned today. So, as we're recording this. Yes, Jeff Tedford. What? Your face is surprised. Yeah, I guess he, I've heard he's been having some very significant health problems. And of course, he oh, he was no. a former coach, uh, assistant coach at, at Oregon. So oh my gosh, he was the offensive coordinator for years. He was a, a genius. Yeah. Well, that hurts my heart. Yeah, he's a great guy. And that really does hurt Fresno because he's been great here. So yeah, you look at him, Chris Peterson at Washington uh, stepping down as well. You wonder, boy, this coaching stuff takes its toll on people. I, listen, I and and I, we didn't we don't want to you know dwell on sports forever, but of course I, we I, do. I watched Fresno State uh, basketball uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't realize that one. You've got your coach is a is a young one from Bakersfield, yeah. uh, Hudson, Justin Hudson, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, his dad was a legendary coach at BHS. Uh, he was a decent player. I've played with him a hundred times. Oh yeah, out on the playgrounds and whatnot, and uh, and he was a good player. Um, did, know, he co- did he coach at Cal State Bakersfield? No, no, okay, All right. no. I mean, I don't even know how in the world he he got that job. Well, he I was mean, he is uh, he recruited Kawhi Leonard, who somebody may have heard of, pretty good basketball player for the uh, Toronto Raptors last year. Now with the LA Clippers, Justin Hudson is the guy that recruited him to San Diego State. And, oh, I did not know that. Yeah. I knew he was at San Diego State yeah. under uh, Fisher. 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 Uh, yeah, yeah, right. Um, so listen, I, the, the, the whole central Valley thing, it, it, you know, we just kind of go back and forth. Yep. So maybe you'll grab a football coach from here. Who knows? Well, we shall see. We shall see. All right. Bob Prater, tell us the book right. one more time. It is a language of healing for a polarized nation. If you, if you put in language and Wayne, those two words into Amazon, it just pops right up. Go ahead and grab it. It's, it's 1499. You can probably get it on sale somewhere. Um, and, uh, read it and, and, uh, let your heart be a little bit open and let's change the dialogue guys. Let's uh, do things. Different. Highly recommend it. Uh, because I highly recommend the authors. I don't know Arnita, but I know Bob and Wayne and, and, uh, and I think it's a very important topic for discussion for this season. I appreciate it. Well, listen, Paul, we're, we're maybe going to have an event here in Bakersfield, um, where all three of us will be. Uh, probably the first or second week in January after the holidays. Okay. So, man, I would hope that you could come down and and uh, maybe do an interview with us down here and and uh, uh, see what see what might happen from that. We'll do it, and we'll let our uh, our followers know. So awesome, Bob Prater. Thanks for being with us and bringing us a language of healing. 
Thanks, Paul. And thanks to all of you for being with us. NPEpodcast.com's the website. Check it out. Click on that Partner With Us button. We would love to have you in our Patreon community and uh, do a whole lot of fun stuff with you. So that'll do it today for the uh, Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at NPEpodcast.com. Thank you.